Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Progress and Joy, a study on Philippians. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit our website, cbcsavannah.com. Our Father, and we just ask this morning again um, that as we just come together and, and, and worship Christ our Savior, that we would be reminded that we dwell in the shelter of the Almighty, that you guard us, that we are in Christ, that we are secure, um, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Just refresh that to us, especially for those this week. It's just been rough. It's been, it's been stressful. It's maybe been doubts in their minds. I, I don't know, Lord, whoever you've brought this morning, but I pray that your word would be timely that it would be refreshing to our soul, um, that, that Holy Spirit, you would use the, the, the Holy Scriptures to build and, and encourage and challenge and, if necessary, rebuke us so that we are more like Christ and so that we let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify you, Father in heaven. Lord, I ask, just as in the first service, please help me, uh, by your grace and, and by your Holy Spirit, a broken, sinful sometimes arrogant, wretched, selfish person to teach to a group of people who need to hear truth. Lord, help me to do that in a way that Christ is honored because I, I have nothing. I don't deserve to be able to do it, but you've called me to do it. So please empower me to do what you've called me to do so that your church, Lord Jesus, whom you love, whom you gave yourself for, is built, it's, it's it built up in your name and for your glory, I pray. Amen. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. If you are new or visiting, my name is Bill. I am uh, one of the teaching pastors here at CBC. Glad you guys are here. And we're kind of still figuring out the building. And so there's all sorts of little things that we're learning as we go, whether it's sound and tweaking that or flow or parking. And, and you guys have been very patient, and I am very grateful. And please extend that out a couple more weeks at least because we're still trying to figure this whole deal out. Because it's new for us. We have not been in two services since I think it's 2011 was the last time. So we're kind of, you know, getting used to that whole deal again. Um, so it's all new to us and, and it's new to you guys. But we're excited. Uh, as a church, for those of you who have been here for a while, we, our mission is that we exist for God's glory to equip people to follow Jesus through community and through the Bible, which is our name, Community and Bible, right? That's, that's kind of the what that is the why, that is the how we do things. And, and when we gather on a Sunday morning, really what this time is about is we're going to worship Christ together and we're going to open the scriptures. And typically what we do here, if you're, if you're new, is we kind of work through books of the Bible from beginning to end or larger chunks of scripture depending on, you know, kind of what the season is. But we typically work verse by verse through a book because it's the best way to understand a book. It's written as a letter or as a book or as a, as a prophecy and so it's best understood in its whole so that's, that's what we do. And the reason is just because we want to be a group of people who are defined and directed by the Scriptures. All right? It's not that we have it all together. Look around. We clearly don't. Okay? Just, you know, we don't. And so that's it. But what we want to do is dive in together and learn what Christ has for us, what he has teaching us through the Scriptures. And so that's what we're going to do. 
And we are going to jump into a brand new book this morning. All right? And I'm excited. Everyone loves new stuff, right? New house, new football season. Everyone's excited about, well, some of us are excited about that. There we go. I see that hand in the back. Amen, brother. That's it. All right? New outfit, maybe, new car, new sending kids away to new school. That's exciting for most of us parents, right? We like new stuff. I like when we get to open a new book of the Bible. It's something refreshing. It's kind of like that new car smell. It's like everyone, right? It's a new book, okay? So we are going to open a new book this morning. It's still got the new car smell in it. It's the book of Philippians. And here's why I really love this book. This book is all about your joy. It is all about your progress and your joy in Jesus Christ, right? It's a great book. And so we are going to spend the next 13 weeks, and 13 is usually a bad number, here's a good number. We're gonna spend 13 weeks kind of thinking about and unpacking and meditating on and talking about your joy and your progress in Jesus Christ as we study together the book of Philippians. And here's kind of your job, right? We gave you these bookmarks. If you didn't get one, grab it. And this is twofold. Number one, so that you can find Philippians in your Bible, right? If you're like, I don't know where Philippians is. It's like 66 books. Put this in there. You can't miss it, right? But if you flip this bad boy back on the back, you'll see, you'll know ahead of time what we're preaching every week. This is week one, all right, at the top. That's verses one and two. That's where we're going. Next week, that would be week two. All right, I know somebody went to public school. It goes one, two, three. That's already it goes, okay? So you guys are dead today. I'm sorry. I mean, first service is like, you know, they woke up early. All right, so just follow along. I want you to read ahead. I want you to know what's coming next week so you're prepared. And we've also, your pastor of equipping, Pastor William Kane, has given us all a memory verse for every week. Right, typically one or sometimes two, so that you would kind of know the key verse in that passage. This is for you as parents to take your kids through. This is for you to memorize personally. By the end, we'll have 12, 1,300 folks, if we kind of follow through, who will have read through the book several times and who will have 10, 15 verses under their belt from the book of Philippians. That's good stuff. I'm going to ask you all next week. You can't lie in church if you did your verse in your reading, okay? So... Go read ahead this week. Read through the entire book in one sitting. Um, it takes you about 12 minutes. It's only four chapters. And, and you'll kind of have a better grasp on the book of Philippians. Here's what we're going to do today. We are just going to crack this bad boy open just a little bit. Kind of new car smell. Like, kind of just smell a little bit, right? Not physically, metaphorically. But what we're going to do is I'm going to give you kind of the big picture background of the book. Anytime you study a book of the Bible, you need to know what's going on in the setting of the book. What, what's behind the scene? This is a real letter written to real people in a real historical context. Right? And when you understand all that, what's going on behind the scenes, it'll kind of open it up for you. And so I'm going to cover just some background information today. We'll talk about why Paul wrote it, to who he's writing, and all these things. And then we'll just crack open the first two verses. All right? Just the introduction. All right? So that's where we're going. Book of Philippians. If you haven't found it by now, it's on page 980 and the Bible's in front of you. Um, bring your Bible every week if you have one. It'll help you follow along. You can use the slides, but it's much better for you to look at it in your own Bible, get familiar with your own Bible. All right, Here, here's kind of the background. Go back with me 2,000 years-ish, right? A little less than 2,000 years. 50 AD, there's a team of four men, right? You pass them on the road, 
you wouldn't notice anything special about him. Just four guys, a little smelly, been on the road for a while. All right. One of them, his name is Saul. That's his Hebrew name. His, his Greek name is Paul. He was at one time an, a great opponent and a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. He is now one of the leaders in the church. He's a young dude, right? like one or two hairs on his chin kind of guy. His name's Timothy. He's kind of the next generation guy. He's the protege of Paul. He's kind of the disciple of Paul. And you got another guy. He's a doctor. His name's Luke. Another guy named Silas. We don't know much about him. But it's just this ragtag team of four dudes wandering around modern-day Turkey. And what they're doing is going from town to town telling people about a, a Jewish Messiah named Jesus of Nazareth who died on a cross and who rose again and offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life for those who believe. And they're going all over modern-day Turkey, right? Kind of, go to the next slide, y'all, up in the booth, because this thing ain't working again. There it is. Okay. So they're, they're in this area right here, kind of wandering around. They want to go north to Bithynia and towards the Black Sea. And God says, nope, you ain't going that way. Keep stopping them. So they end up going to a little city named Troas right here. And when they're in Troas, Paul, after a long day, he falls asleep. And he has a vision of a guy saying, get on a boat. Come across the water. Come to Europe. And so what happens is he does it. They get in a boat. And for the first time, they land on European soil. For the first time, the gospel makes it to Europe. And they work their way, this little ragtag team, up a road, a famous Roman road called the Via Ignatia. I probably ripped that apart. If you're an ex-Roman Catholic, you'll probably tell me later. You get your Latin, you know, from high school or whatever. But it's spelled E-G-N-A-T-I-A, okay? So that's, that's the way it is. But they're walking up this famous road, and they head to a little city called Philippi. And Philippi is a Roman colony. It's kind of a real famous um, Roman, you know, there was a big Roman battle there. It's kind of a patriotic city, and they uh, kind of love Rome and love everything about Rome. It's probably a lot of old retired military. They show up in this city, and as typical to Paul, they usually go to a synagogue first. He always goes to a Jew Jewish synagogue. There is no Jewish synagogue in Philippi. There's not enough men. It has to be 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. There's not enough men. So they go down to the river, which is the second place. And down at the river, in a van... Down at the river, there, now you're awake. Saturday Night Live gets you awake. I see how this crowd is. Okay, just to make, it's got to be something. They go down to the river, and there's just a handful of ladies doing a Bethmore Bible study, basically. All right? And for the first time, the Apostle Paul preaches the gospel, right, to these ladies. They never heard Jesus. They never heard Jesus of Nazareth. And it says literally that, that God opened the heart of one lady. There's one lady there. She is rich, wealthy, businesswoman. She's wearing the power suit, right? Her name is Lydia. She's probably a single gal. It says God opens her heart and she believes and she becomes the very first convert in all of Europe, right? And, and I was thinking about this this week. I wonder who will be the very first convert in this building. Maybe it happened last week. We don't know it yet. Maybe today God has brought someone in this room that he is going to open your eyes to the gospel and that you are going to be transformed from the inside out and your eternal destiny will be changed. Maybe that's today. I don't know. I can't wait to meet that person, whoever it is. Maybe I will be in heaven, but I want to know 
the person that got saved, first person in this great room that God has allowed us to build. But there's your first convert, power Wall Street business lady. Paul stays in Philippi with his team, and as they are preaching, there's this little slave girl who is demon-possessed, and she's got some owners, and they're using her for profit as like a fortune teller. And she follows the Apostle Paul around every day, just yelling out, these men are servants of the Most High. These men are servants of the Most High. It gets so annoying to Paul. He finally turns around one day and just, boom, he just casts the demon out of old girl. And thus you have your second convert in the city of Philippi. You got businesswoman, power suit, poop, and you got a girl that's kind of like a sketchy past. She's kind of like hippie girl. She was at Woodstock. She's like, woo, you know, kind of that. That's her. All right. Well, her owners are very upset because now their profit margin is gone. So they take them into town. They beat them with rods. They throw Paul and Silas in jail. And they're in the inner jail the most, where the most wicked cr criminals would go. And something really weird starts happening at midnight while they're in jail. The jailer hears something strange. He hears singing from these two men that are in stocks at the bottom of the jail. And apparently the heavens here as well, because God brings an earthquake on the prison. All the doors open, all the chains fall off, everyone is set free. The jailer wakes up. He thinks everyone's gone. He's, he draws his knife. He's going to kill himself because he knows they're going to kill him in the morning anyway. Because his one job was to keep the prisoners in. And Paul and Silas say, yo, stop. Don't do it. We're still here. He runs down into the inner prison. He comes to Paul and he says, what do I need to do to be a Christian? What must I do to be saved? Paul preaches the gospel again to him, to his entire family. They all get saved. And the church in Philippi is born. Right? You got businesswoman. You got sketchy past girl. You got blue collar, probably retired military. His one expertise in life is killing and torturing people. That is the dream team of church plants. Okay, can you imagine the first service? I mean, what did that look like? Woman, you better sit down, I'm gonna beat you. Well, you better, you know, I mean, it, 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 it would just be so interesting. But this is what God does He takes three different people who would never normally associate with one another in real life, and He makes them the body of Christ. And so the church in Philippi has a great start, right? That's about 50 AD. Go with me 10 years later now. It's about 60 AD. The Apostle Paul has gone on a further missionary journey. He comes back to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey. He's arrested. He sits in jail there for a couple years. He finally realizes, I'm not going to get a fair trial in Jerusalem. He appeals as a Roman citizen to Rome and to Caesar. And so they send him to Rome, the Supreme Court of the day. And so he goes on a ship to Rome. And he sits in prison in Rome for two years waiting for his trial. And while he is in prison, he writes a couple letters, one called Ephesians, one called Colossians, one called Philemon, and one called Philippians. He is sitting in jail, waiting for his trial as he writes this letter. 
And the reason he writes it back to the Philippians is because the Philippians hear about Paul in jail and they're worried about him and they're concerned about him because they love them some Apostle Paul. And so they send a guy named Epaphroditus, who's their, one of their members, with a bunch of money and a bunch of supplies and they send him to Rome to help Paul out. And, and Epaphroditus gets there and he says, Paul, the church of Philippi, man, they want to give this to you and they're worried about you. And he writes this letter back as a response to that, basically telling them, I'm okay. I'm great. I'm in jail, but I'm great. But I'm more concerned about you than you are for me. I mean, that, that's the heart of this letter. Paul's in jail. He's, he's suffering unjustly as an innocent man. And he writes this letter back to them to say, no, don't worry about me. I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about your growth and how you're doing spiritually. And here's kind of the key verse in the book. 125. He says, convinced of this, I know I'll remain and continue with you. Why? For your progress and your joy in the faith. The reason Paul writes this letter is because he wants to see them progress and he wants to see their joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we call this, this series Progress and Joy. Because, because we are about your progress and your joy in the faith. Right? It's a huge thing for him. And, and the beauty of this letter, most of Paul's letters are a response to people acting like knuckleheads, right? He, he's always responding to a false doctrine or some heresy or some major behavioral issue in the church. And so he has to write a letter to correct him. Not so with Philippians. Philippians is the only, the only few positive letters that Paul writes that there's no major big issue going on. He just wants them to progress. He wants, just wants them to have joy in the Lord Jesus, and so what we're going to do for the next 13 weeks is talk about it. Because as I look at our church and the church at Philippi, there's a lot of similarities. They're about 10 years old at this time. We're almost 10 years old at this time. All right? They started with a bunch of knuckleheads. This church started with a bunch of knuckleheads. Let me just tell you. All right? There's Davis laughing in the back. I see you. All right? Then we grew. Things changed. They grew. Things changed. There's, there's no major theological issue going on. As far as I know right now, we don't have some major theological issue. There's not, we're not saying there's four members of the Trinity or, or anything else. But what is going on is just life. All right? Just life going on. And this is a letter to just encourage them in the middle of that to progress and have joy. And so we're going to talk about it for the next 13 weeks. All right? So that's big picture. Let's jump into the first two verses now and kind of crack the door on this little epistle, kind of smell the new car smell, so to speak. Uh, and I know typically we read through these sections real quick. We're like, yeah, 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 yada, 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 Paul, grace, peace, whoop. Uh, let's get onto the meat. But we're not going to move on because there's some significant things this morning we need to grasp. Remember this. The Holy Spirit does not waste words. There's not one dotted I or cross T in the scripture that is not from God, the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't just waste words to get to the real stuff. This is the real stuff. All right. So let me read our text in its entirety. And we'll kind of come back and talk about it. All right. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. With the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Seems pretty simple, right? You've probably read something like that before. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of nice greeting, right? 
But what he actually does in this little greeting is foreshadow really where he's going for the rest of the book. And, and really for us, what the key for our progress and joy is going to be. And, and what I want to do this morning is real quick, I want to highlight three things for you. Right out of these first two verses. Right? We won't go real deep into them because the rest of the book will be about this. But I want to highlight three real quick things that are critical for us if we move forward in our progress and our joy. And the first one is found in verse 1 when he says, Paul and Timothy. Oh, let me go back one. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. It's related to our identity in Christ. We talk a lot about that here, but it's, it's essential to your joy to understand who you are in Christ. What does Paul say about himself? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Literally, the Greek word means slave. And when we hear that, we immediately go, because of the nastiness of American slavery and the just the atrocity there, we, we, we have a negative connotation, and we should. But the heart of this word is not actually negative. And, and his Roman audience would have understood it. Because what this word means in the text is someone who voluntarily sells themselves into the slavery of another. It's voluntarily. It's not capturing and selling what, like the, the trash that took place in this country. It's someone who voluntarily places himself under the authority of another. That's what Paul is saying. He says, I am Paul. This is how I view myself. Not as a great apostle, not as a leader of the church, not as a writer of the Bible, not of all these things. I am a servant. I'm a servant. Right? And that's not the typical use of Paul. What Paul usually says is, I'm an apostle and a servant, or I'm just an apostle. Here, he's foreshadowing where he's going next. I am a servant. And here's why that's important. Because they're about 10 years in, right? All the euphoria and excitement of three people meeting in Lydia's house. And woo, you were the jailer and you were, you were the crazy girl and I'm the power. All that is kind of subsided now. They're 10 years in. Right? That's old news. And just the mundaneness and the routineness of life has just set in. And because of it, there's a little, just a little bit of disunity that's sneaking into the church. And there's just a little bit of conceitedness. And just a little bit of selfish ambition. And there's a little bit of conflict. In fact, there's two gals in the church. He's going to call them out. He's going to name them in the Bible. And remember, what, the way they would do this, they used to read a letter out loud in church. Can you imagine they're reading the letter and all of a sudden it says, Hey, and you two ladies, you need to get along. And they're probably sitting in the back like, right? And that's, we as elders have decided, when you guys act up, we're going to put your name on the screen from now on. <laughs> you two back there. Uh-huh. Yeah, right there. Everyone look at them, right? That, that's what he does. He calls them out forever and ever now. In all eternity, these two ladies are going to be known. The two ladies can't get along in, the, in Philippians 4. Isn't that great? Right? It's like Rahab the harlot. Right? She's always the harlot, even though she's a saint now. But, but the idea here is life has moved on. It's happening. Right? And what, here, here's what's going to happen here. We're still living on a little bit of a high. Got a new building, exciting, two services and stuff. And everyone's still excited and we're grateful for that. But what happens... In three years from now. I mean, really. Right now, people, most of y'all are like, I'm going I'm to park down at that sand that stadium if I have to for Jesus. And I'm going to walk. I mean, I'll do whatever you ask to. I'll serve wherever. I'm going to give my seat up. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do whatever. That's awesome. What happens in three years when it rains? 
What happens when you come in and you saved your seats for your family and some new couple moved them? Right? What happens when someone in your community group hurts your feelings? When, when it's just real life? Right? When the euphoria is kind of settled down. Right? See, Paul says, the key to my joy, the, way, the reason I'm able to say to live is Christ and to die is gain, even though I'm sitting in the middle of a jail, is because I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Right? I'm a servant of the king. And that's where my joy comes from. And this is so opposite of the culture. The culture that says, I want to get more money. I want to get more power so I can make people serve me. Right? That's the drive of the culture. What he says is, I am going to serve. I have been bought with a price. I am the servant of, the other, of another. I am owned by someone else who ransomed me. And I love it. He says, that is the source of my joy. I'm a servant. And just as Jesus set the example for his disciples as he washes their nasty feet, Paul sets the example for the Philippians of where he's going, saying, you want joy? It comes in humility. And here's, here's the, the $10,000 question for some of y'all. Because I think if you've been in church all this time, you know this. You're like, yeah, a servant of God, blah, blah, blah. What do you want other people to think about you? I mean, what do you want... How do you want others here and out there to view you? It's, it's an important question. As I want to be seen as spiritual or strong or independent, not needy, right? Having it all together. I got my five kids and everyone's got their ESV study Bible, even the two-year-old right here lined up. We want to project strength. We want to project an image. We want to, is, is that what you want? Because if the goal for you is to project an image, is to protect your brand, whether it's through Instagram or whatever, or always projecting how great your house looks and it's good housekeeping and my minivan's clean and my kids got A's and everybody's happy. If that is your goal, I'm telling you, you will be very frustrated and you're going to end up empty. Because it's a facade. We all know it. We all know it. Right? If, if you feel like you are too good to do something that someone asks you to do, you're like, I, I don't know if you realize who I am, but I cannot put on an orange vest and direct cars. Okay? I can be in charge of that. I can, I can rule. But I, 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 can't, I can't do that. If you feel like you're too good to do something, or that you cannot rejoice when something good happens to someone else. Or you, you, can't, you, you can't be under that person because you would handle this differently. And I would do it differently than them. I can't do it the way they want me to. If that is you, I can tell you that you are going to be bringing competition and selfish ambition and conflict and disunity to whatever deal you're in. Right? And that is not the heart of the Apostle Paul. It's not the heart of the church. It's not the key to joy key to joy is the flip side. It's seeing yourself as a servant. It is freeing to see yourself as a servant. You don't have to anymore, anymore glorify yourself. Right? Your goal can be to make others and ultimately Christ look great. That is your job. When you show up, your job is to make Jesus and others look good and not you. My daughter, my only daughter, I have three boys and one daughter, she is a volleyball player. 
And volleyball is typically for tall people, in case you didn't know that. But the Fowler gene code does not allow for that, okay? So there's no tall people. So what my daughter does is she is the setter, okay? The setter's job, this is my terms, is to make everyone else look good. It's to give glory to the tall people, which is typically how it works anyway, right? Tall people get all the glory, all right? And so, you know, she, her job, they pass it to her. No matter, it doesn't matter if it's good pass, bad pass. Her job is to get it to the tall people so they can get all the glory. And that's what happens. She'll bring the beautiful set. You know, it'll be a horrible pass, but she'll get it to them. They'll, boom. Everyone's like, where'd it go? That's a great hit. Great hit. Great hit. I'm like, no, that was a great set. No one, but no one's doing that. No one's like, oh, did you see that set? Did you see how she set? No, don't mind the person just got hit in the face by the spiker. The, that, but that is her job. It is to make other people look good. It is to glorify them, ultimately. And when she does her job well, no one notices. And when she doesn't, everyone notices. Your job, ultimately, is to make other people look better, ultimately making Christ look better. That is your job, Christian. And ultimately, it doesn't seem like it. That is where you will find joy. And we'll see all about this in chapter two. But that is where you will find joy. And I'm telling you, if we would have this attitude towards our week, it would revolutionize our week. When you're up to your ears in dirty diapers and laundry and, and carpooling kids and cleaning up thinking, I went to college and I'm doing this, right? You're not just cleaning socks. You are not just wiping backsides. You are ultimately, if you are a servant of the king, you are serving him. He gives value to everything you do, right? And you got to know that. He gives value to that. When you show up at work and everyone's grumpy and miserable, oh, I hate my job, I hate my job, you don't have to let them steal your joy. Some of you get all in, oh, yeah, you're right, I hate my job. You need to realize you are a servant of the king, and so you don't have to be all grumpy, frumpy tomorrow morning when you go to work. You are there to serve Jesus Christ. It gives value to that, right? It's huge. When you're cooking meals for, for ungrateful kids, that's, that's not it. You are cooking for the king as if he is sitting at the dinner table with you. It gives value. When you go to the Publix and there's one shopping cart left, because people are lazy and they don't return them to the cart return. All right, that's, that's another story. There's one cart and you are the first person there. It is rightfully your cart by the rules of cartdom. And you see the single mom with three kids that's 15 yards away. It is rightfully your cart. You were there first. But what Jesus does is he frees you to give this cart to her and go get one out of the lazy parking lot where people don't take their cars back. And it's a freeing thing. It's because you're a servant. And you're not better than anybody. Right? And we're to serve. Serve the one who made known to us the path of life. Serve the one in whose presence is fullness of joy. Serve the one who's at his right hand is pleasures forevermore. We're just, that's part of your identity, y'all. If you're in Christ, you're a servant. You're a servant. And there's, there's all sorts of other implications that we'll get into. We don't even have time. Such as, am I going to go to that movie and see Straight out of Compton? 
Would my king want me to see something there's like 7,000 profanities in? Really? Jesus is going to be like, yeah, go see that. That's going to help your mind and heart. That's good for you. Right? There's all sorts of other implications in how we behave and how we, how we live because we are servants of the king. We'll get into that in chapter 4. All right? So, but the big picture is you understand you're a servant of the king. You are a servant of the king. It's a huge piece of your identity. But he also says this. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Makes this great statement, to all the saints. Who are the saints? We the saints. Just call me St. William, right? Not St. Bill, that doesn't sound official enough. St. William is much better. St. William... That, that is the script. I know some of you come from a background where a saint was some guy or some gal that did something special and was uber spiritual and they made a necklace out of them and put them on a stained glass window. That was a saint. That's, that's not the biblical model of sainthood. What is it that makes someone a saint? He tells you right here. To all the saints who are circulate in Christ. Who are in Christ Jesus. Those are the saints. And this is one of Paul's favorite phrases in the New Testament. He uses it over a hundred times. Being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That you are set apart. That's what a saint is. That you are holy. That you are in him. That you are a saint. That is your identity. It has nothing to do with your maturity. How long you've been here. Nothing to do with your giftedness. It has everything to do with the fact that you are united to Christ in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection through faith, right? And I think the reason Paul constantly has to come back to in Christ, in Christ, in Christ is because we forget and we don't act like it sometimes. How many of your husbands this morning, ladies, didn't act like St. William? <laughs> Nobody, huh? Says, you know we'll put you on the slide if you raise your hand and we're like, yeah, there they are. Because we don't act like saints sometimes. In fact, Christians are probably often one of the biggest jerks in the workplace. And they're the worst examples. And we need to be reminded that, no, no, you are in Christ. So when the new car smell, it wears off because the kids spill milk in the back of the minivan. I need to come back to the fact I am in Christ. And if I am in Christ, whatever is true of Christ is true of me. If he is seated at the right hand, then I'm seated with him. If he has died to sin, then I have died to sin. If he is raised to life, then I will be raised to life, just like he was raised to life. That is what it means to be in Christ. And so whatever mess your life is, you came in here this morning and you, you've blown it up. Or you had a horrible week. Or, or things are not where you want. You're sitting in a jail cell like Paul. Whatever it is, being in Christ means this is as bad as it'll ever get. And, and if I've done this once again and I've blown up my life, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That as bad as the circumstances get, that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Why? Because I'm in him. That, it's a huge piece of joy. How else can Paul sit in prison for like the 50th time, get beaten, all these things, and say... To live is Christ, to die is gain. Can you imagine being the Romans? I mean, they can't do anything to this guy. They throw him in jail. He sings. They threaten to kill him. He's like, woo, I get to die. But if I don't die, I get to live. What do you do with that guy? 
I mean, you can't do anything. Where does he get that joy from? In Christ. That's where. That's where he gets it. Right? That's where he gets it. And, and what this book is not going to let us lose sight of is, is what it means to be in Christ. We want to be a group of people that are constantly amazed with being saints in Christ Jesus because of the person and work of Christ. That's what sustains us. That's what maintains this deal 10 years, 20 years from now. And so here's a big question for you. I asked a big question earlier. What do you want people to how do you view you? Here's another question. Are you in Christ? Right? Are you in Christ? And if you say, yeah, I'm in Christ, then how do you know? How do you know you're in Christ? Because if you say, well, because I'm at church, because I like the songs, because my dad was a pastor, because I've been baptized, because I got me an ESV study Bible. You, if you have any list of things that you're in Christ because you've done something, let me tell you, those are all great things and they have absolutely nothing to do with putting you in Christ. The people who are in Christ, here's who, what they are. They have turned from their sin called repentance and they have put their faith in the res- death and resurrection. Jesus is substitute on a cross for your sins. They have put their faith in that for the forgiveness of their sins. Not any good deeds. Those people are in Christ. And what I don't want was with all these people coming on a Sunday morning, yeah, I like the church and I like the new building, you're missing the whole point because you're just, yeah, you're going through the motions. And, and if you're like, I don't, you know, I don't really know, I kind of have some questions, ask, please. Grab me afterwards. Email us. Call the church. Grab a person with a little name tag. We would love to sit down and, t- and just tell you about what, what it looks like to put your faith in Christ. Right? Because... That's the only thing that matters. Your eternal destiny is based on the fact whether you are in Christ or not. And it is the source of Paul's joy. His identity. I am a servant and I am in Christ. Let's continue. He says one more statement at the end of verse 1. He says, I got it. With the overseers and the deacons. He said all the saints in Christ Jesus, even Philippi. And he makes this unique statement. He does it nowhere else in all of his letters in the intro. It says, with the overseers and deacons. Okay, what's that all about? There's three offices in the early church, kind of three positions. You have apostles. There's a very few of them, right? There you got the original 11 after Judas is killed, uh, and then one replaces him. You got a couple other dudes, maybe 15 apostles. These guys had a special authority given by God. They had to see Jesus risen from the dead. That was one of the qualifications. They had to actually do signs and wonders and miracles. That was another qualification. Very small group of dudes that had authority over all the churches. Don't see this role anymore, okay? We're all apostles in the way, in, in the sense that we have been sent. That's all apostle means. But there's no apostles the way there were. No apostolic authority where, where these guys have from the Lord Jesus himself authority over all the churches. But you do have overseers and deacons. Overseers is just the word bishop or elder or pastor, you have those, and you have deacons who are the official servants of the church. All right? And you can see the qualifications for elders and deacons in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. But here's the big question. Why does Paul throw that in there? He doesn't do it anywhere else. Why does he throw the elders and the deacons out front there? I, I don't know. No one does because we're not Paul. But here's what I do know. There is an assumption that these people are connected 
to the local church with its, lo- with its local leadership. Right? That they are connected to a group of people where there are elders, where there are deacons. And here's why. Because one of God's main sources of progress and joy for you is you being connected in the local church. And this is our second thing. If there's going to be progress for your faith and there's going to be joy in the Lord, then you need to be connected to a local group of believers. If you are a follower of Christ, you're, you're in the big, big church, the universal church, but there's a local expression of that that you need to be a part of. Because church is bigger than a sermon and some songs. You can do that online. Right? That, that's not what the church is about. And I, I hear a lot of this in recent days. Well, I like Jesus, but I just don't like the church. You ever hear that? I don't go to church. I just love God. If you love God, you will love what God loves. And he loves his Church. Well, you know, I don't really need the church. I kind of, I'm good. I kind of listen on my own. I watch on my own. That's like me saying this. That's me, like me saying, y'all, I am a great basketball player. I mean, you should see me. I'm behind the back. I'm between the legs, passing. I mean, I got assists. I can shoot from everywhere on court. I, I am the man. I have triple doubles every time I play. Oh, what team are you on, Bill? I play in my driveway. I'm good. I'm the MVP, the champion. I'm the coach. I'm it all. Yeah, that, that doesn't work that way. All right? You kind of got to play someone else in a real league for that to count. That's the same thing with us. You need the team. The team needs you. God has created the church for your progress and your joy. You're like, wait a minute, Bill. I know that can't be true because Christians and the church are some of the biggest source of struggle and and misery in my life. Trust me, I hear you on that one, all right? Because I deal with church people all the time, all right? So I hear you. But just because the church is filled with a bunch of broken people does not mean you can throw the baby out with the bathwater because Jesus is passionate about his church. He gives his life up. For his church. He pours his spirit out upon his church. He is perfecting his church. So you don't get to say, I like Jesus, but I don't like what you're doing. You don't get to do that. He loves his church. And you better get used to these folks. Because you're going to be in eternity with them for a long time. And you know what God's going to do to some of y'all? He could put you right next to that person for all eternity that you can't stand right now just to remind you. All right? I'm going to ask him to do it. I'm going to pray for you. (laughs) But that's the beauty of the church. That God takes people that don't normally associate with each other. Power suit Wall Street girl. Sketchy flower girl with a background. And and ex-military guy who used to torture people. And he throws them in a room together and says, now you're family. That is the beauty of the gospel. Right? That's the beauty of it. That's why there's nobody can say here, I got here on my own. No, you didn't. God opened your eyes to the gospel. God drew you. God brought you. God shared the message with you. God gave you the faith. It's, it's a God thing. Right? But the church is how God moves. And here's what Paul says in Ephesians. He reminds them, God uses his church. This is the main way in which God manif- manifests himself to the world now. He says, I, through the church, 
The, wisdom, I, the manifold wisdom of God may be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It, the proclamation of truth and of the gospel and of goodness is through the church. Yes, it's broken, but it won't be forever, I can promise you. Because we're going to see next week that he who began a good work in you, he will complete it in the day of Christ. It's coming, right? And so some of you, you're new, you're, you're kind of checking CBC out, come to start here. Ask questions. Some of you have been here for two years. You still not really plugged in. You haven't joined. You haven't done. What you waiting for? I mean, you know who we are. We're the drinking coffee. Slides don't work sometimes. Kind of guy in front of me is dancing and the guy next to me is wearing a tie. That's us. You know who we are. What you waiting for? You need to be connected. Some of you, you need to, you need to we're going to launch community groups in a few weeks. You need to jump into a community group. Yeah, but I don't really want to be with people that are different than me, and I don't like people that hurt my, that's the point. A place you can serve, a place you can pray for, a place you can carry the burdens, a place you can love, a place you can repent, a place you can, you, you build people up that are different. It's part of being a servant. Some of you are like, well, I'm here, but I'm not really doing anything. Jump on a team. It's more than just listening. It's more than just singing, right? It's 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 using what God's given you to make other people look good, and that's what we do in the local church, right? And God has given you the church, even though it's sometimes hard, as a a source of your progress and your joy, right? That we build each other up. It's two things: identity. It's coming the next couple of weeks as servants and as in Christ, the church. And one more thing. And, and this, it's something we're going to see come up. It's grace. Source of your joy and my joy ultimately is grace. Look what he says in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Grace says that you were once an enemy of God. Now you are his child. Grace says you were under his wrath. Now you are the object of his love. That you were alienated and separated. Now you have been brought close. That he has lavished you with his unmerited, undeserving, everlasting favor. He has given to you which you cannot earn, which you do not deserve, and which you can never, ever repay. That is grace. And the result of grace is peace. Peace with God because we were enemies. Peace internally, because even if I'm in prison, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Peace with each other, even when they're a knucklehead, and they are. I've been forgiven, they've been forgiven. I have peace with each other. It's all rooted in grace. And you're going to see this idea of the gospel and grace. It's going to come up more than in any other of Paul's letters. He's going to use the word gospel. Why? Because it's root, it, it sources everything. We're going to talk about a bunch of topics, but it's all related to God's grace and the gospel. So what you can expect for the next 13 weeks is a lot of grace. It's a lot of gospel. Because it'll be essential to the fabric of CBC. And it'll be essential to your joy and to your progress in the faith. So I need to move over to the deeper things. There is nothing deeper than the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It drives everything. It is a grace that is glorious. Your identity is rooted in it as a servant and as someone in Christ. The church is built on grace. And so may God use his grace and our understanding of it and our understanding of who we are in Christ. And may he use the local church as broken and messed up as we are, y'all. May he use those for your joy and your progress 
over the next 13 weeks. That's where we're going. I hope you'll join us for the ride. Let's stand, let's pray, and let's worship. Father, I thank you for grace. I thank you for progress and joy that you, that you desire for us. I thank you for the apostle who saw through his circumstances enough that he would write letters, that he would ultimately be writing the words of heaven so that we can understand you. Father, take these next 13 weeks and transform people. Where there is disunity and conflict, may there be peace. May, where there is questions and where there is doubt and guilt, may there be grace. Uh, grow us to be a joyful church, Lord Jesus, to be a church that rejoices and celebrates you. And let it start right now, Lord. Your people are gathered to sing. And, and you open heaven when, when just Paul and Silas sitting in a jail, when they sang, you responded with an earthquake. Lord, may we who are many more than two sing in a way right now that the heavens respond, that there is glory to the, to the lamb who took the sin of the world. It's in his name and his glory we pray. Amen.